All right. Well, hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to this uh, webinar on questions you should ask your MSP. Um, we want to make this as interactive as possible. So please throw up any questions that you didn't hear us asking into the chat. And uh, we'll try to get to those uh, through the program. And if we don't, uh, we'll definitely uh, respond to you later afterwards and, and answer your questions the best that we can. Um, there's no sales pitch today. These are just value-added informative webinars we try to provide for um, our ecosystem of friends and customers and, and prospects. And, and hopefully you'll get some value out of it today. Uh, take a few minutes and introduce um, who's on the panel today. Uh, first and foremost, we have Mike Pedrick, VP of Consulting of Newspire. Uh, he's joining us from Denver, Colorado with over 16 years of technology professional uh, experience. Thank you, Mike, for joining. Uh, next, we have Dasha Deckworth, president and founder here of Stealth ISS Group with over 25 years of experience and also our resident uh, provisional assessor in, uh, for CMMC. And then we have Robert Davis, our CEO here at Stealth ISS Group with over 34 years of experience in techno technology professionalism. And last but not least, you have myself, David Jones. I'm Vice President of Global Sales here at Stealth with over 30 years of technical sales consulting and sales engineering roles. All right, um, I'm gonna toss it over to you, Rob, to kind of set the stage. Okay, thanks, David. Um, yeah, just to set the scene on this one, um, expecting this one to be quite live, lively because I'm sure we all have an opinion on, on uh, the capabilities of MSPs and MSSPs and what they do for us. But what I wanted to do before that was try and just spend a couple of five minutes just laying out where I believe um, the lines are between MSP and an MSSP and what the gray area might look, in, look like in between. So I think to start off with, you, you decide to build a company and all of a sudden you get your first PC and then you need a server and all of a sudden over time you find yourself, you have some, some IT infrastructure. And then you hire some folks and then you've got more PCs. All of a sudden you find that you need a company to come and help you with the IT side because that's not your core capability. And so you go and find an MSP and they, they either host things for you on your own data center or in the cloud. You know, we're looking at uh, operational technology, IT, SCADA systems, telephony, all of those things. Um, it's not your core, core comp capability. So you either have or have done or are looking to go and outsource this particular capability to, to a third party. So within, within those um, responsibilities of an MSP, and th this is where I see this, so I, you know, this is totally open to interpretation. So you know, for me, MSPs deal with server support, desk side support, help desk. You know, they may uh, be responsible for antivirus on your endpoint. They've probably built the network for you. Um, they, these guys have, this, have set the, the technical foundations and building blocks for your organization. Okay, so over time, they, once that's built, they get into more of, a, of an operational phase. So there are things around vulnerability management they should be looking at. I, I see those things very much, very firmly in the silo of the MSP. So everything on from there, if, this is a topic about cybersecurity. So everything from there towards the MSSP is either firmly the responsibility of an MSSP or there's a gray area and there's a conversation. Okay, so over in the MSSP world, you know, we see things like SOC and SIM, so security operations and, and event monitoring, CISO, 
this is where security policies, procedures, governance, compliance, where all of that stuff lives. Um, we see log monitoring being the responsibility of an MSSP. You know, in the event of something happening, incident response, MSSP all day long, forensics, penetration testing, all of those things that we need to do to check the uh, to check your security posture as an organization, those are the things that I think sit firmly within the MSSP. And including vulnerability assessments, not management, assessments, two different things. We'll go and find the gaps and then the MSP goes and fixes them. And then in the middle, <laughs> if you go back in history, 20, 30 years, firewalls came out. I have some stories, I won't bore you with them here. But um, So firewalls were very much seen as a security appliance. Um, Laterally, I think firewalls have, have developed IDS and IPS capabilities, so they kind of sit in this gray, gray area. Um, security architecture is a good one. Do you leave that to the MSP or should the MSSP look at the, the way you tier your architecture for best effects, considering the governance uh, and compliance standards that you, that you need to adhere to? Um, I've got disaster recovery and business continuity in there. We will talk about those because there is a difference between the two. and you know there are lots of different people that have responsibilities so so that's where i think the gray area is across all of that we've got application support application development and kind of governance so NIST, pci HIPAA, those types of things so yeah i didn't have time to draw this up but if you can picture in your mind i've got these three columns msp gray area mssp kind of supporting or, or common uh, areas uh, across the bottom so that's the msp to MSSP continuum as I see it. I think the purpose of this call is to, is if you're either in the position of, hey, I need an MSP or, hey, I have one and I need to, to perhaps do better with them or, or ask them some questions, that's setting the scene for this, for this webinar. So if that's what you're here for, fantastic. If you were expecting another one of our CMMC webinars, probably in the wrong place, but you're very welcome to stay. So with that, I think I've set the scene. Any questions on that? I'm, I'm happy to, uh, if you want to come off mute and ask questions at this point. We have a preference, I think, put your questions in the chat and we'll deal with those as we go. So with that, I shall hand back to David. And David's on mute. I am on mute. Thank you, Robert. Appreciate it. All right. Well, let me kick off the first question, ladies, first. It's going to go to Dasha. So... In this aspect of us looking at MSPs and trying to understand the gaps in, in their capabilities and uh, their core expertise and with cyber, in relation to cybersecurity, um, what is the benefit or understanding of, of asking them what their security program is based on, um, like a framework or NIST cybersecurity framework? Uh, what kind of insights does that give us, Dasha? All right, so in general, um, you wanna make sure that uh, whoever you work with, they use one of the accepted or public or official frameworks, for example, NIST or ISO, CIS, you name it, because that is standardized, that is best practice. So if you, if you have somebody you work with that uses those frameworks, you know what you can expect, you know what is in there, you know the level of security you can expect, you know that they have policies, procedures, that they have, they know what they're doing. If, um, if a company does not use that, then it's you know, questionable. For example, patching. Does it happen once a month? Does it happen once a year? You don't really know what the best practice is. So even though you may work with companies that don't use the framework, 
the key is to really understand and know or have it in the contract and specifically defined of what they are going to deliver. Thank you, Dasha. Um, I just Mike, to expand we'll on that ahead, a little bit. Yeah. So, so really, you know, MSPs have grown organically as IT companies over time, and then kind of IT security came along, and somebody put a cyber in front of it and added a zero to our paychecks, which was fantastic. But somewhere along the line, some MSPs just didn't didn't take that step into understanding security. They in some cases believe that the world does start and end from a security perspective with firewalls and, and antivirus and things like that. So asking the question about, you know, are you familiar with any governance standards like NIST, uh, ISO 27,000, whatever, if you get a response back in the affirmative, all of a sudden, you know you can have a conversation because they understand the vocabulary because the vocabulary of MSSP is quite fundamentally different to the vocabulary of MSP. So if they check that box and say, yeah, okay, um, yeah, we've we've either, either either we are NIST compliant or we've we've performed NIST um, or been the re recipient of NIST audits for other companies, you know they understand the vocabulary. They might not be totally compliant, or but at least you can have that conversation with them. In some cases, as I say, we, we've been doing this a very long time. We've had relationships with a lot of MSPs, and, and worst case. You know, there, there is no vocabulary around cyber, so you're having to almost teach them as you go. So, so that, that was just to, to embellish Dasha's point. Great, um, thank you. The one thing I want to put out there is, uh, you know, and, and for the edification of everybody today, I'm playing the part of uh, MSP advocate, um, just for what it's worth. But the, the thing I want to put out there is that Generally speaking, as, as Rob so eloquently put out there, the, the priorities of an MSP versus an MSSP, uh, when we think about the traditional CIA triad, it's, it's, I don't think it's too dismissive to say that an MSP is principally focused on that A piece. They are the availability folks. They're keeping the lights on. They're keeping the network up and running. They're making sure that all of the systems that their clients need to conduct business are up and running to the extent needed and in accordance with the SLAs that are in the contract, right? And I'm sure that we'll talk about contract here shortly. But so through that lens, what makes, you know, what you need to bear in mind, I think, is that that, that difference in priorities also dictates a difference in how they, they conduct themselves and the things that they hold up as being super critical. And uh, just, to, just to, you know, bring this home, if you get, if you engage the MSSP, or I'm sorry, the MSP, and you ask questions about what are their, um, what's their pedigree from a cybersecurity or risk management perspective, if they come forward and say, ah, we do our best to abide by the CSF or by CIS or, or whatever, you have your own biases in your, your mind as a, as a consumer, as an MSSP, as a consultant, as a, as a layperson, you have your own biases when you hear certain things, certain trigger phrases. Um, so I like the point that if they understand those terms and have a good defensible response as a service provider, that can put your mind at ease, right? Uh, but I would also say from the perspective of the client, you know, existing or potential, don't take them on their word, right? Ask for, you know, validation, right? Show me, show me that your program is, is good. Show me that you're doing the right things. Um, the... Uh, caveat there being that no MSP or MSSP for that matter is going to just say, well, come on over, we'll give you the tour, 
right? What they're going to do is they're going to hold up a certification from a third party to say, these guys say we're okay. That's going to have to be enough for you until, you know, pending additional information that suggests that they do have, you know, deficiencies in areas. So, yeah, and a lot of times, the, you know, at that point, they're going to ask for an uh, NDA uh, to get into specific discussions. But, um, you know, in vetting them out, that brings up a good point. Um, is it important to ask if they have a designated uh, internal information security officer? Uh, I'll jump on this one. Uh, yes, absolutely. And I will take it a step further. I'm very firmly of the belief that there is there needs to be separation of church and state, so to speak, right? So I don't just want to know that the MSP has a CISO. I want to know who is responsible for security within the organization. Once I've got that answer, okay, I want to know who is responsible for the security of the customer, right? Who is responsible for ensuring that the customer's systems are protected to the extent required? And the reason I say that those two things need to be separated is I mean, you can't serve two masters, right? There are inevitably situations where you have to make a choice. Do I protect the MSP or do I protect the client's environment? It's like, uh, it's, a, it's an Asimov law, right? I mean, do I, do I protect the, the occupant or the uh, person that the occupant is about to run into? Um, so, you know, again, you have to have that, uh, you have to have both of those perspectives represented at a leadership level at the MSP and certainly at the MSP as well. Yeah. Bonus Definitely. points for CIA Triangle, bonus points for Asimov. If you can bring Schrodinger's cats in here, then I'll buy you dinner. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna, <laughs> okay, be I'm gonna think on that one, okay. If, if, I can, <laughs> if I can add something to what Mike just said is uh, a very valid uh, and very good point is the differentiation also between an MSP providing the services to the client and also protecting themselves. We've seen a lot of times, especially when they come in and do audits, that they are somewhat trying to scramble on delivering security services to the customer or IT services to the customer. But a lot of that is also based on how do internal security policies, procedures, uh, change control, management, resource management, background check of staff. So all that services, they have a tail that goes all the way into the organization. And if the organization itself is not managing their security properly with the right documentation, everything, the foundation has to be there first before the services to a customer can be developed. Unless you have a first client and then you know exactly what the client wants and then reverse engineer it back into your organization. But that only works for a certain amount of time. So I think the basic really is, does the organization itself as a corporation, as an entity, have their own security in place? Do they know what they're doing? Do they abide by some standards? Do they document everything? Do they have their own security standards, know how to deliver the services? And that then impacts the client and their delivery to you. No, that's, you read my mind, Dasha, because the next question I was going to ask was, how does the MSP assess and manage the risk? So I think you're, you're addressing a lot of those aspects. And then and, and how do they manage access to the environment um, and, and your environment? So um, in talking about access, Mike. So address, yes, sorry, David, go ahead, Robert. just on that. I, I don't know if this is where you're going to go with this, but, you know, MSPs tend to manage more than one client. 
So it's not just a data access, it's how can you be sure that only you have access to your data? You don't want access to any of their other clients' data. How do they, uh, you know, tell me about that. <laughs> how do you do that, MSP? That's another question, right? Yeah, and, and Mike, I think um, you had a question about is, is my network separated from the other networks? Is it exposed? Um, one of the questions was, if a breach happens at the MSP, would the MSP's RMM platform expose your privilege information to attackers? So why don't you address some of those details as far as how customers need to dig in into that, that kind of granularity? Yeah, and there's there's a few things to unpack there. And, and the first thing I wanna put out there is, is a potentially scary statement for a lot of uh, you know, potential customers. There's, there's separation at the network layer uh, there's separation of, you know, if you ask for dedicated hardware, for example, sure, we'll give you your own server in the uh, data center, and that'll be just... Mike, sorry, just jump in a second. So that's, that's <laughs> virtual separation. That's right. not necessarily physical, right? So just that's an important point. Exactly, exactly. So there's, there's multiple, you know, concentric circles to this thing. But I say all that to say that there is always a commonality. There's always a, a intersecting lines between... Um, you know, professionals, right? There's going to be people laying eyes on systems, dashboards, even data for multiple clients, right? And we have a, a question in the chat or a, a mention in the chat to the RMM software, just like you just mentioned, David. So that's, that's also a, uh, a common point, right? So the question becomes, uh, as consumer A or customer A, right, client A, um, how do I know that somebody can't go from uh, your environment as the MSP to my system and then to somebody else's system? Or how do I know that somebody else's system can't access my system? And I just, I want to make sure that everybody is clear that there is, there is a mechanism and it's incumbent on the MSP to make sure that all of the right controls are in place to ensure that that mechanism, that RMM, that uh, you know, service desk, sock, knock, whatever it is, that that environment is adequately protected. And that's one of the things that I would say as a potential consumer, you ask those questions, right? This is a fantastic example. How do you vet the RMM software? And I'm gonna tell you honestly, uh, and I don't think that this is gonna be too much of a surprise to anybody. There was a day when Kaseya was trusted and the day after where it was not, right? And so, and it's the same thing, pick anything that has, you know, gone out of favor over the last several years. Kaspersky, favored as an antivirus application, and then not, right? And so, you know, exercise a little bit of um, uh, latitude, I suppose, or, or give, the, give them a little bit of slack, right? That what we think is okay today may not be okay tomorrow, and you should judge the MSP on how they respond to those identified issues, right? How many MSPs are still pushing Kaseya out? Or how many uh, uh, MSPs were using Kaseya for months after you know, things broke, solar winds, et cetera, right? Pick a thing that went out of favor. How did that MSP respond? Now, just anecdotally, my personal perspective, and I appreciate, uh, you know, put my biases out on the table in front of me, right? I worry most about if I ask the MSP and they come back to me and say, well, these were our compensating controls all along. We never trust an RMM, you know, implicitly, right? We just, 
we want to protect ourselves from potential incidents. These were our, our competing controls or compensating controls. This was our protocol if things went south with the RMM. That's the MSP that I'm going to applaud. That's the one I'm going to want to continue doing business with, as opposed to the one that was like, oh yeah, we were totally blindsided. And you know, it, it took a couple of months, but we moved over to you know, this other RMM and uh, yeah, we're good to go, right? Now I wanted to know that there was some preparation, some anticipation in advance. And, and you know, I with can, that, oh, go ahead, Dasha. Sorry, if I can add something also to the, uh, to the question about the RMM software. And I think this is also a very good example to show the where the gray zone or the assumption that people have, what is an IT provider or MSP provider versus an MSSP. RMM software is not really, it's not a security tool. So yes, it is an IT management tool. You can do some things in there. Uh, for example, to uh, you can block USB ports, uh, you can patch, things you can do vulnerability scanning but that is just a very very small portion an rmm tool you cannot really manage encryption keys unless you log into those devices you cannot and most of them at least unless you have some other additional software that go with it collect and correlate events or incidents and be able to respond to those so rmm tools that's in in layman's terms IT help desk tool to manage any kind of user issues, password resets, technology, um, basically for the user. Something goes bad, user can't use it. This is what an RMM tool is, but it's not a security tool. Yeah, and, it, and I was just going to say that brings questions to the fact of, okay, with that tool, with account credentials, private keys, as you were talking about, Dasha, password secret. We need to ask, how are they managing that? What is their policy around that? Are they encrypting that data and keeping them in separate files? I wanna, I wanna take a step real quick um, because I, I realized that we didn't really expand on what RMM is. We may not have to for anybody in the group, but remote monitoring and management is a necessary evil for um, service providers. And, and I, I'm leaving off the uh, managed piece, right? Service providers, in totality, there are some things that we just, we, we can't do what we're contracted to do without those tools being present. So we understand, you know, MSPs understand acutely that an RMM application represents a potential vulnerability. This is a remote access thing. By nature, by the nature of what remote access means, that's a potential vulnerability, but we have to have it. MSPs have to have it to do their jobs, right? To meet those contractual obligations. And so again, it comes down to how are we controlling access to the RMM? How are we controlling what the RMM does? How are we controlling, you know, exposure, you know, or transparency to the, the user when that RMM is engaged so that, you know, the user sees a pop-up that says, you know, a bill on the help desk is, is signing into your system or whatever the case may be. So all of those things come to the fore, but you know, again, I want to—I just want to put it out there that it's—it's it's a necessary evil. Without that RMM, we're reliant on—you um, know—we're reliant on other things. We're reliant on the being present, being being in front of it, right? And then we're the traditional model where there's an IT guy hiding in a back room, you know, idle for seven hours out of the day until you ring the bell and he trots out, right? Uh, but we know that that's not the model, and that's not why we contract with 
uh, or contract with uh, MSPs. So, yes, yeah, bring us up another point, Mike, and I'll have you address this. When we talk about that working with with those platforms, you know, what's does the MSP you know retain access logs? I know you may not be paying for SAM as a service or SOC as a service, but still, from a basic security perspective. Are they retaining access logs? Are they reviewing those periodically? And the big question for me is automation. How yeah. much are they relying on automation and scripts to set things up to do things and they're not actually having people uh, eyes on glass in situations? Why don't you talk about automation? Because I think that's a, a an overlooked area that people don't address or talk about with the MSP. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, and I will go on record here by saying that I think that more processes than people would prefer are manual, right? I, I think that we would, we would like in an ideal world that the entire thing is automated because we all subscribe to the notion that an automated process eliminates, or eliminates the opportunity for human error, right? Uh, and I will just say, you know, um, I will admit that a lot of processes are manual instead of being automated just because of the cost represented, that initial cost up front of automating those process, uh, processes. However, um, yes, the, the first question, yes. Are MSPs looking at access logs? Uh, you better believe it. MSPs are uh, organizations that are constantly under, um, attack is a strong word, but I've already put it out there. I'm going to leave it there, right? They have multiple clients. Those clients are always on the, uh, on the alert for budget overruns, you know, anytime there's a, a miss in an SLA. And so MSPs are constantly aware of, uh, you know, what can I expect, expect to put out there as evidence that I'm doing my job, right? And access logs and activity logs are one of those big things that you can say, look, here it is, right? This is what happened on this day. This is why it's not our fault, right? This is why it's not our problem, right? And um, as, as cynical as a perspective as that is, it's a very uh, key component of what they're tracking and why they're tracking it. Now that opens the door to questions about, okay, well, how long are you keeping those logs? And do you have a policy that says that this log data is going to be kept for this period of time to meet this compliance requirement? And that's where it'll stop. Well, they'll say, well, no, we, we only keep data long enough that we know that we can cover our, our liability, our legal liability. That's the, that's the threshold, right? Um, and so that opens up the door for conversation about whether or not there should be more maturity in that, in that area. And I, you know, I'll leave that to people better than me. But the... Um, Data is being tracked. They're, they're definitely trying to cover their, their hides um, from a delivery perspective. Now, the extent to which things are reviewed, uh, again, comes down to what they're looking for. Uh, and most MSPs don't have threat hunters on the, the NOC, on the network operations side. What they're looking for is up, down, right? Is a thing down, get it back up. You know, is, is there, you know, is there, um, excessive network latency, let's figure out what that latency is attributed to, right? And MSSP looks at the same data through completely different eyes, right? And so, um, you know, that gray area, I like that gray area. I think that that's a, a that should be a growth industry for, um, you know, for the world, right? For our business world that, um, you know, an MSP that is 
savvy in MSSP ways, uh, gosh, that's a, that's a really great place to be. And it's, it's fascinating to me that if you had a Venn diagram in front of you, uh, MSP and MSSP, just how small that sliver in the center is. Uh, but I think it again comes down to when you're in the moment and you're having to prioritize your actions, you're doing, doing triage, like what do you do? Is it to flip the switch back on or is it to start the forensic process? And I think to, to that point, Mike, is uh, that's where your separation of duties comes in. You cannot, and you have to have this. It doesn't matter if you're an MSP, MSSP, or any organization, you have to have the separation of duties between IT, operations, uptime, and security. Because yeah, IT will bring it back up so that business doesn't scream that we cannot do our job versus security. They will actually investigate. They will test first and see first, can we bring it back up? What was the cause of it? So different approaches. Yes, the goal eventually is the same, get it all back up running, but in a secure way and understanding why it happened versus, oh, let's get it up because we have SLAs. But also would like to add to what you said on the monitoring side. It's um, one thing that I've really seen a lot in the past, and I'm not saying this is all MSPs or I'm not generalizing, but um, to what you said is MSPs has, have a different view of looking at technology or service delivery than MSSPs. And it comes also to, also to monitoring. If you, yes, they are looking at access logs, kind of, sort of, but then, you know, it's ma usually manual work unless they have a SIM tool that correlates it. And if you are only subscribing to an MSP service, the chances are very, very slim that you are also paying for a SIM because that's really expensive. That can do automation, but you also usually have security people sitting behind it. So that service does not come for free as your MSP standard contract. So what is going to happen? Um, it's most likely not going to be reviewed manually because automated, you can't do it. It's too complicated. Uh, yes, you can set some script rules. You can have emails being triggered even without a SIM, but it's cumbersome, it's expensive, it's tedious, you will need resources. So yeah, the generic, maybe a firewall rule that comes out of the box that your MSP puts in or your antivirus or maybe an XDR, they probably, if they're configured correctly, they will generate an alert and the MSP will look at it. But an MSSP, they are looking really at the locks. They are making sure that the box that the MSP set up is actually generating the correct logs. And the correct logs for an MSP are usually, is it up and running, who logged in, are any services corrupt or is anything not working the way it should be? On an MSSP, are there any security alerts? We're actually looking at the security logs. And in order to get the security logs, they need to be activated on the actual image on the operating system. And a lot of times I'm not even seeing that. And yeah. that's the scary part. Can I, can I? Well, really quick, I, I want to open up and kind of take this in a different direction, Robert. You're so, so get, do I, get so to do speak I, so to do that. I. That's, that, that, okay. that's what I want to do here. So, so what I'm hearing is, you know, most companies have an MSP in some way, shape or form or somebody that helps them with their IT. I think it's fair to say over time with the increase in malware and, and threats, 
that all of a sudden, and because of segregation of duties, it's not a huge leap to say, actually, companies of a certain size and higher probably need an MSP and an MSSP. I don't think you'll find an MS, MSP that does both. And then we bring in segregation of duties that, uh, that makes that awkward anyway. What I, what I did really want to say um, in defense of MSPs, because as I say, I've worked both sides of this particular fence, a good day in MSP world is a quiet day. No tickets, no phone calls, because nobody ever calls you to say good job at a boy, right? <laughs> you get a call, it's normally something bad happened. So, you know, I, I just wanted to put that out there. I do feel for MSPs that oh, it's almost a thankless task to be an MSP at times. Um, so I just wanted to, to for us on this call to recognize that and just say, hey, this isn't a let's beat up on MSP session. We get it. We just feel that there are some levers and some things that you could do to help yourselves and help your clients. Yeah. Back and in that point, um, you know, clarification, having a, a really good understanding of your relationship and Robert into contracts, into SLAs, into what is in scope and out of scope. So I'm going to Toss that back to you, Robert, first, and then Mike can pick up after that. Let's let's talk about that piece of it, understanding your SLA and what, what they're going to do, what they're not going to do. Right. So contract is key in this, especially in this relationship. So over over the years, because of the very nature of the MSP beast, you know, these guys have hired some pretty good lawyers and their contracts are pretty solid. So they will be very clear on what they do and do not offer you as a service. It's incumbent on you as a client to fully understand what's in that contract and how you, what the process is for contract amendments, because over time you may want to introduce things like SIM. You may want to introduce things like assistance with business continuity, those types of things. So contract is key. Uh, if you are starting your journey with a potential MSP, um, don't skimp on reading the contract. Ask if anything's unclear. Just, just make sure you are 100% clear on the services that you are about to receive. If you already have an MSP, now what might be a very good time just to flick through that contract and just to fully understand what, what should they be doing for you. Um, such that if you did all of a sudden fall under the, the need for some kind of compliance or governance, like PCI HIPAA or whatever, at least you can go to the contract, you can understand what it is that the MSP should have been doing for you so that when the auditing company comes in, you can at least have that conversation and see, okay, you did this, you didn't do that. Uh, at least, you, you know, knowledge is power and knowledge starts with the contract. Yeah, and you should, you know, right from the start, ask, you know, if, you have, if you're a company that has to adhere to a compliance or regulation, you need to ask them what compliances do you support or don't support? And then if they say that they support, you know, XYZ, HIPAA, PCI, whatever, then have a conversation. Okay, how are you supporting that compliancy in relationship to me with the records you keep, with the policies you keep? Go ahead, Robert. Let me, let, so, so let me explain the genesis of this webinar. So we work with a hell of a lot of MSPs. And in a couple of cases, we've had clients of theirs that are just commencing on their compliance journey so be it they all of a sudden need some kind of HIPAA compliance PCI or, or whatever so there's us we've been been invited to, to perform the assessment there's the client and then there's the MSP so what we're finding is 
a lot of confusion, contracts not being read, misunderstanding around who should be doing what, where and when between the client and the MSP. That's the reason for this webinar. And that's why we're very keen to, to help folks get ahead of those conversations because all of a sudden you can be in some really interesting conversations. You know, the, the vendor salute and he said, she said, um, because the contract isn't clear. Then, you know, us as the assessor, well, we kind of don't care. You need to you need to be checking this box in this particular governance framework. Who's got that? So it's I guess I mean, this is a this is a maturity conversation. This is a conversation mm -hmm. about, OK, whether you're starting your journey you're in the middle of a journey or you need to be assessed or whatever. Think about your relationship with your MSP, how that's contractually bound, what your day to day service provisions are what are their responsibilities around slas if you call them you know and it's a critical event what is the response time are they meeting those what what reports are you receiving do you even talk to your msp on a quarterly basis those types of things i guess the, we're just encouraging folks to to bring that dialogue with your msp upper level and it's not about beating up on them it's about holding them accountable to the contract and maybe even adding things into the contract that you now need to do as part of this new governance thing that you need to comply with okay i'm going to take thank thank you robert i'm going to take this in a completely different uh avenue now over to mike i'm a small company i have an msp they manage my two servers my my 40 endpoints my firewall i just got ransomware and got locked out what do I do? I'm going to call up the MSP. I'm down. Get me back up. What are the things that they're not thinking now about that they need to? Like, what's the SLA time for them to respond? Do, are they supposed to do all the IR work? Where is the, you know, should they have an MSSP on, on retainer with, with, with incident response to work in conjunction with the MSP? Let's, and then let's go into like gold images, backups, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, uh, Rob, are you ready for it? Uh, Schrodinger's backup, right? It exists and it doesn't simultaneously unless you test it, right? Um, you have the data and you don't. Um, so here's what I'll say about that. There's, there's a, a couple of people that are involved in that scenario, right? Uh, a few people you named, you know, uh, Bob, the MSP guy. Uh, you know, starting at the small end of the spectrum where it's, you know, they got one or two servers and they're on-prem and this guy shows up once a month for four hours and then, you know, disappears for, for the rest of the month. Uh, and they just call him in as needed, otherwise do help desk over email, right. et cetera. So it, that, is, that is also a maturity question. That's a, that's a pretty serious maturity question. And it also has hooks into the, the contract um, because I would see very quickly in most scenarios, the MSP would come in and say, we will do the best we can on a time and materials basis, right? And then hold up, you know, a previous communication about, hey, we have some concern about your backups we need to address. Um, and we were summarily ignored uh, or whatever the case may be. Now that's not the only scenario and that's pretty heavily critical of, of the, the customer. And there are certainly cases where the customer has concerns that go unaddressed by by MSPs. But the bottom line is that when you're up to your neck in a ransomware event and you cannot conduct business until it's until either your systems are restored or uh, decrypted if you pay the ransom, um, 
You don't care about things like that, right? You're not thinking about the terms of the contract. You're thinking about the cubic dollars that are vaporizing uh, while your systems are down, right? So here's what I'll say. Generally speaking, the and, and with all due respect to MSPs, MSSPs, the optimal scenario is that you have one competent organization taking care of your stuff to the extent that it's an isolated risk for things like this to happen. And I'm not saying that's an MSP or an MSSP. I'm saying one competent organization taking care of, of risk mitigation for you, right? Um, that's a utopian world that we're not in today. So the short answer is, yeah, I would love to see even small businesses, even the, the businesses that are still running on an HP pavilion under the accountant's desk, um, that they have some sort of access to an MSSP that they can call on the fly. But that also exposes sort of the dissonance between MSSPs and MSPs, right? Those two organizations have to be in lockstep. They have got to work together and they have to have been exposed to each other. Um, that's probably not the verbiage I wanna use, but they have to have worked together prior to the incident. Because again, during the incident is not the time to find you know, differences in, in personality, et cetera. Um, but I also wanna point out as, as, as Dasha did that it is, it is dangerous for a customer to assume that everything is taken care of to assume that there's a SIM, to assume that there's IDS on their firewalls, to assume that they have um, everything that they should have. The threat landscape is changing. You know, before I get to the end of the sentence, the threat landscape has changed dramatically. And it doesn't matter how good your Cisco PIX was 15 years ago uh, when it was installed by your MSP, right? Uh, there needs to be some level of, of maintenance of that environment. And that stuff is not free. And MSPs are not in the business of giving away more service than, than what they're contracted for. I would say the same is true of MSP, MSSPs and of the clients that we're talking about, right? Um, Bob's Machine Shop isn't in the habit of giving away free machine work. It's just not, not a thing. That's not how we conduct business. So, uh, you know, circling back to that point, scrutinize the contract. If the contract isn't what you want it to be, find a way to make it what you need it to be. All MSPs I've ever interacted with will come to the table and say, okay, if, if you're open to the notion of doing a renewal now, we'll cut the previous term short, we'll redline the contract and we'll start a new term. It's just like, yeah. you know, mobile phone service, right? If you're right. ready to start a new term. Yeah. For me, for me as assumptions are synonymous with expectations. Same yeah. sort of thing. You know, you're assuming what's in the contract or you have an expectation about the service that you will receive from the contract. Same thing understand don't, don't leave it to chance read it as mike said it doesn't matter if it's your msp or your mssp or someone in between um i just understand where you're at in regards to the, the, the potential malware incident use that as a as a kind of tabletop exercise for yourself internally um and then that can be quite an eye-opener that that can then actually drive additions or amendments to any contract that you may have dasha that brings up a great point on, on um review that practice that why don't you go into understanding about backups versus golden images versus have you ever tried to restore from a backup you know it's a good practice to do that once a year to, can you even restore a server back with the applications the way you backed up the software does it work and and how long does it take and and 
give us a, a, an understanding the difference between just backup versus a gold image and, and what that really means. May I All take right. that one? Just because I've got a story to tell. <laughs> so, so we were the company that kind of fixed the Pyeongchang Olympics and that was purely because we were able to find a safe restore point or a safe backup and it was six months old that wasn't infected with the malware that took down the IOC uh, infrastructure and domain controllers. So yes, in that particular, had there not been that backup for that amount of time, the Olympics, that Winter Olympic Games would not have happened. Simple as that. Uh, for me, a gold image is a little different. That, that's more a, a, a server configuration item. Switch off services that you don't need. Limit the ports that you're not using. You know, only allow those ports and those services uh, to run on the server that are required to run the application that's on that server. Simple as that for me. And similarly with, with laptops, you know, Microsoft comes, you get a laptop, it's got Windows on it and everything's running because everything needs to work, right? Um, not good in a business because there are ports on there that you that are really insecure and you do not need to connect to the network and, and run. So you disable those ports. Those cobbled together form a build, which we call a gold image hardened build. And then you can cookie cut that and roll that out onto every laptop, most laptops in your environment. So that was my two cents, two pence. Uh, I'm gonna shut up. Asha, you wanna add anything to that? Yeah, I think, um, well, Rob explained the gold image versus backup, but on the backup side, a um, couple of things I would like to add. It depends what you're backing up and if you can restore it. A lot of companies back up um, data, you know, Word documents, PowerPoint, email, all good. That usually is not such a big problem to restore. Now, if you back up a complete image of a machine, of a server plus the data, plus the configuration, plus everything else, that is something that you should test. You should test it at least every six months to make sure you can restore. And also the big question is, what exactly do you need to restore? In most cases, you do not need to restore the whole thing. You may need to take from that image and only restore a part of a configuration. Now, can you do that? Does your backup tool allow you to do that? And is it gonna work? And that's usually where, when we ask any company, it doesn't have to be an MSP, it can be any, any company that has backup. And we ask, can you restore backups? Oh yeah, yeah, somebody lost a couple of files yesterday and we restored it, so it all works. No, sorry, that's not it. It's, it's about configuration. It's about, is it the image? Is it a mail, a client that you need to restore? Is it a backup? Is it a, I mean, what exactly are you restoring? And the biggest thing is also databases. A lot of people keep forgetting about that. Backing a database up may be one thing, but if you need to restore it, you can restore the whole database. You can restore fields. And that's usually where the question comes. Have you actually tried to restore a full database? Or have you actually tried to restore some cells or fields in the database that you lost? because restoring alone can actually cause you more damage than the some other information that you lost if you don't do it right. Yeah. And that's really the key where we see a lot of companies just assuming, yeah, yeah, backup works. We didn't get an error. We're backing everything up, but they forgot about the key operational things. And those are the images and the configurations and the databases. You know, and, and that brings us a great point, Mike, that I'm going to have you address. Um, 
the difference between disaster recovery and Robert will want to ch chime in on this as well versus business con continuity. And and what I'm really hearing, I think, over over the last 40 minutes is that, you know, to do this properly, it's more than just one organization. If you're doing it correctly, you're involving an MSSP for certain expertise. You're involving an MSP for certain expertise. And, and other consultants are, are to come in and do you know third-party assessments to make sure everybody is is doing things correctly. But talk about you know there's a difference between disaster recovery and business continuity. There there definitely is, and there's there's a couple of values. Um, there's uh, you know thresholds. Let me let me say that right. And there's thresholds that uh, we, we structure our disaster recovery and business continuity efforts around, right? RPO, RTO, which has just popped up in the chat, so on and so forth. Uh, re retention periods. Um, these are all values that an MS, I'm going to say MSSP, but really what I mean is the disaster recovery and or business continuity person, right? Whomever is responsible for that, that particular task. And I say that because it could still be somebody internally uh, I, I relish the opportunity to work with organizations who have chief risk officers or, or chief compliance officers because um, that bespeaks that organization's maturity, right? But so those RPO values, RTO values, retention periods, uh, so on and so forth, um, you know, all of those thresholds are very often not talked about. Here, here's what I mean by that. And it goes all the way back to the separation of church and state. Most MSPs, I think, could quote back to you exactly how much backup retention they have or exactly what their disaster recovery uh, plan looks like or what they're going to do to stay in business, right? And <laughs> this is incendiary to say their uh, drive to get back into business doesn't necessarily bring you along with as the customer, right? Um, in, in the in the totality, right? Because their scope starts and ends with what they're managing or what they're maintaining for you. Hey, we brought it back up. Everything else is a smoldering mess, but uh, that's yours, right? That's your problem, right? Uh, and, and again, I know that's an incendiary statement to make, but I think it's just sort of the practical reality of the thing. And so they're, they're not having these conversations in, in a lot of cases, like there are really good MSPs out there that do want to have those values established. But I, I want us to, to respect that those expectations, because they're business centric to the client and specific to the client, um, if they have hundreds of clients, they have hundreds of strategies for disaster recovery and business continuity. And that's unwieldy. I mean, it, it make, that's, that's a really big thing to, to get your arms around as an MSP. And it's just best left to, you know, contract manipulation to say, well, we'll cover what we cover. And like, that's that, right? And one of my frequent laments is that uh, you know, selfishly, MSPs should be having conversations about, hey, so um, by default, under our, our basic billing model, we keep three weeks of backups. How long do you need? Oh, well, I need six months or I need a year. That's money on the table to the MSP. Have that conversation. Have that talk, right? And, you know, the, cluster, the customer who needs that service will pay for it. But if you don't have that dialogue and they have an event, 
And they find out in that time frame that you're only keeping three weeks worth of backups instead of the, the six months that they need, I guarantee they're not going to renew the contract. That's just, that's how it right. is, right? Um, so the differences between disaster recovery and, and business continuity, I think, come down to education on both sides uh, and understanding that they are not synonymous and they're not wrapped up in each other. But even more, there's terms that we haven't said yet. We haven't talked about high availability. We haven't talked about fault tolerance. There's a number of people even within the industry that see disaster recovery, fault tolerance, and high availability as being synonymous. And a backup is just, can I get back the most recent copy of the thing, right? And that's, that's not what backups are either, right? There's going to be a time where you're going to have to answer to uh, somebody to say, I need the version of this document from nine months ago, or I need a copy of a file that hasn't existed for nine months. It was deleted nine months ago. Can you do that? And um, again, it comes down to preparedness, right? You don't want to find out that you need to do the thing when you're on the hook to restore the thing. Right. Hey, Robert, you know, and we got about six minutes left, but mm -hmm. um, wanted to talk about, you know, not to plug MSSPs, but a quality MSSP that has consulting services like a virtual CISO, um, this is right up their alley to come alongside a company and help them look at all of these things and make them aware because they don't live in this environment, right? They don't, we see it with all the customers, we see it with the MSPs, but they don't, they don't know what they don't know to think about as far as making a list or, or, um, a plan or, or things. Why don't you talk to that and how, um, you know, a little bit of consulting can go a long ways in helping a company set themselves up correctly going forward. Sure. I wanted the DR BCP question, but okay, I'll take this. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it comes back to the point I've made at the top of the call about knowledge and vocabulary. So you're a business owner and you make widgets, you know, the shape, size, destination of widgets, that's your, your specialty. And you hired an MSP purely because you didn't want to be in the business of, of IT infrastructure and management. Okay. So the, so the world has moved on. And now there is a growing requirement, especially as you grow as a company, um, to protect your assets. And to, you know, malware can eviscerate you and you can lose your company in 24 hours if you don't have a strategy for that. And I, that's not a scare statistic. That's just the way that it is. So all of a sudden, you don't, you probably don't have the, the vocabulary and, and understanding. Your MSP you've hired to do the IT nuts and bolts and, uh, and networks and, and look after those operational things for you. Why would you expect them to, I'm, I'm sure they understand something about cybersecurity, but the you know, risk, security posture, all of the different attack vectors and facets of risk that there are out in the world that, a lot of folks don't even recognize that is the specialism of an MSSP. So if you are looking at the wider world thinking, oh my God, this is getting really risky and, and everyone's under threat every day. Yeah, you're right. If you wanted to have a conversation and at least get a better understanding of, of your security posture, then I think you've hired an IT expert to deal with IT. I think you need to hire a security expert to deal with those security conversations, don't you? You know, isn't that your responsibility as a business owner to, to, to find the right capabilities? So if you've got it from your MSP, great. If, you're, if your uncle does that for a living, then fantastic. But you will find most 
MSSPs will offer a thing called BCSO or fractional CSO. It means you don't have to spend two, three, five hundred thousand dollars a year on a on a dyed in the wall industry professional. You can get one of those on a fractional basis and save yourself a fortune. You get all the insight that you need uh, and all the guidance, counsel, mentoring at a fraction of the cost. I would start there. You know, then at least you can have a conversation or that person could have a conversation with your MSP um, about, you know, the art of the possible when it comes to improving that, particularly your, your security posture, because guess what? It's your security posture. It's not your MSPs. You're accountable. You may have given them some responsibility, but ultimately it's your business. You're accountable. And get it wrong. And honestly, you could lose your business. Um, without sounding too scary. So, so bringing an expert doesn't have to cost a fortune. Thank you, Robert. We got about three minutes left. Um, I'm gonna throw up um, last uh, comments. I'll start with Dasha. I got no comments. I think the conversation here was really good. I think there's a lot of, um, a lot of risk if any company is not having the right conversations with the MSPs. It's, um, I know it's, it can be scary because you don't know what you're going to expect. Sometimes you don't know what you should be asking, but um, I think the easiest way is think about a worst case scenario. How, what do you need to have in place to make your business continue to operate from a security and business perspective? And right. if, if the vendor that you have can provide that and you, and they make you feel warm and fuzzy that you can trust them by all means, but ask the right questions. Thank you, Dasha. Mike? Um, I'm gonna put MSPs on notice. I think that customers are becoming more and more aware of you know, uh, gaps in that service, right? And becoming more savvy to what they need as an organization and what the MSP isn't providing. So um, MSPs, you know, get better at this. Robert, take us home. Yeah, thank you. So I, I wanted to, to start my closing with some key areas that we have found over the years from our experience working with MSP. So take this at face value. These are things that we see haven't been as strong as they could be. So gold images and secure builds we've covered. Vulnerability management. You know, you can go to the Ponemon or Verizon reports and see how folks get hacked. And it's a lot of it is through vulnerabilities in your, in your infrastructure. Um, Review of firewall rules. We see a thing called any, any a lot, which just means everything that you just configured in your firewall is absolutely moot because they are passing all traffic. Um, Offboarding procedures, specifically around uh, endpoints, data wipe, those types of things. Encryption is a, is a growing conversation where we don't see a lot of expertise in that space. We're seeing far too many default passwords seriously default admin admin whatever passwords we just we just find them all day long and then, then a really important one is, is third party risk so your msp may be managing connectivity to third parties on your behalf have a look at that you know that that area is fraught with um with gaps and, and weaknesses that was the the detailed part we're bang on time i just wanted to thank everyone for joining thank you to our exalted panelists I, I love chatting with you guys you know that if anyone has any questions um, just reach out to us this uh, video will be on our youtube channel probably within 24 hours or so so feel free to distribute at your leisure 
if there, as I say, if there are any other questions, send them in and we'll endeavor to answer those as, uh, as part of this exercise as well. So that just leads me to thank David for, for emceeing and, and chipping in and uh, doing what he does so well. And thank everyone for joining. We hope that was uh, informative. We hope it was enjoyable. We like to try and have a bit of a laugh with these things. And uh, please join us uh, for the next one. Thanks again. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.